got Louis. Hello. We've got Sparrow. Howdy. And we've got Bernas. I mean, we've got Dylan. Oh, shit. Welcome aboard. Hi, guys. Your podcast was missing one thing. An American take. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah, it was. It's going to get pretty intense this episode, I think. I know. <laughs> it's good. Hey, I'm podcasting here. Yeah. I'm podcasting. I'm recording here. Uh, Dylan, you're you're one of me and Louis's very good friends. Thank maybe, you. Maybe even say one of our best friends. My friend, maybe. I'd, I'd go to friends. Oh! oh you guys oh, respond to my text, so that net. makes you... <laughs> that puts you pretty <laughs> high up on my list. That's top 5%, yeah, at least. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I yeah. actually flew here... Directly <laughs> for the pod, yeah. No other reason. Yeah, we had yeah. him in first. We uh, we got you covered. Who do I send my, my receipts to? Oh, it's fine. We, uh, ben ben Asset. Ben Asset first from pod at gmail.com. <laughs> it's good to have you here. You help the, d- the diversity stats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because Ben Asset wasn't doing that. He's white, but American. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we're doing we're doing quite an exciting film today. But before we get into that, what has everyone been What's watching? Been we were just talking about how uh, the American over here has been watching The Crown. The Crown. So have we? Have yeah. you watched the Dom? I've watched the first episode of, of season three or of the just the first episode ever. Because <laughs> 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 I think we, we've all been watching it's season three now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I've been watching it. That's good. So it's like sixties now. We're into like sixty four, sixty five, sixty six. That sort of era. I'm only on episode three of season one, okay. but um, I have been binging as much as I can. I've been coming home in Dylan's, and I've just heard like, <laughs> "Ooh, the tea is very hot." Yeah. And I'm like, are you watching? I mean, they do, they do occasionally have. Um, there's a couple of episodes where they bring the American presidents over. So Kennedy's in it, really. And, um, yeah, so there's yeah, an episode yeah. with Kennedy, and there's an episode it's with, been um, with Johnson. Not to get controversial or anything, but oh, I feel oh, like oh, Netflix oh. marketing execs, if they <clears throat> if they planned what happened in Buckingham Palace this weekend, it couldn't have gone better. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like the publicity Quite a lot storm of fodder, yeah. for the royal family yeah, this yeah. weekend happened to coincide yeah. with when <laughs> when it was true. going. So how far does the show extend? Is it only in the sixties now? Yeah, where will it go to? Well, like, yeah. like, it, could, it, could, it could go right up to present day. Yeah, yeah. Get past present day and just start like. Because speaking not exactly run out of material. Yeah. Speaking of royalty, I did have a tie in between the crown and its potential uh, coverage to our current movie today. Oh, yeah. Okay. Is this your wild theory? Tie it back. No. <laughs> oh, <laughs> this is your it wild was theory. Prince Andrew. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I mean, I want to see it go into the future. That's the guy. Well, that would yeah. be the exciting thing. That'd be cool. Mm. He's not getting the crown in twenty twenty thirty or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> after the world's ended with climate change yeah. <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be interesting when it gets the kind of like the 90s and stuff as in yeah. when we were all alive just, yeah. to, see, yeah. just to see how it's played out yeah. but yeah for sure everyone here's seen the Joker right yes yep apparently it's getting a sequel oh uh, really yeah. I've heard that been uh, I've heard that rumoured rumored. yeah I don't know if it's confirmed yeah. confirmed mm. I mean but it's so open for it yeah. I did watch I did. yeah I've watched a few interviews with, with uh, Todd and Wacken Phoenix and they've both said how much they would love to do a sequel mm. it's just whether or not there's a story there there definitely is. A st- there must be a story there. Well, isn't mm. the next story Batman. his time Bat- with Batman? Yeah. Where else could you go? They covered so much of his life. Just re- yeah. remake Joker again. <laughs> so what, I guess it depends how far forward you go, right? Because if you right. if if he's still a kid, Batman is still a kid. There's still yeah. like what ten years of build. Yeah, you would almost well, recast the Joker then, wouldn't you? Yeah. He, like one of the people he inspired at the end of the film right, would, would yeah, be yeah. the. I don't know. The actual Joker. The actual Joker, yeah. That's interesting. Didn't they bill the Joker as a standalone film? Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. would I don't all know. other films have to maintain that standalone nature? I think yeah. they just saw yeah. it make a billion dollars and they were like, yeah. oh, I think maybe one- we should make another one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was quite good. Yeah. So that was, it was the first, it was the first 
um, R-rated movie mm. to make more than a billion dollars in the box office. Yeah, that's pretty yeah. crazy. Um, which is quite amazing when you think about how restrictive a rating like that must be for audiences. Just stab more people in the eye and you'll make a billion dollars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's one, exactly. thing, one thing interesting I, I did see. So Todd Phillips, is one of his, the first things he made was a documentary um, on this punk musician called Gigi Allen. You know mm. Road Trip isn't a documentary, man. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so it, but it's... Um, it was his thesis film, wasn't it, or something? His no, I don't know, but it had an interesting link to the Joker, weirdly. Mm. Basically, this guy, Gigi Allen, he's just nuts. He's a really, like, kind of despicable guy, and he just mm. has, real person, he has no moral compass. Right. He, just, he mm. does not care. Okay. Does, like, incredibly grotesque stuff, but it kind of is similar, in a way, to... To, to Joker. Joker, but this guy was actually real. Because yeah. if someone, because most people have, a th- people are scared of getting hurt or going to prison or whatever. Yeah. If you don't care about anything, mm. you can't be. Can't, yeah, you've lost everything already, yeah. so you can't. And yeah. this and this guy, Gigi Allen, was kind of pretty much like that. Really? It's, it's mad. It's interesting to watch, but it's just weird. Yeah, I looked um, it up briefly when you told me about it, and he, he seemed pretty horrible. <laughs> yeah, no, no, he, he, is. he is. You've seen the Irishman, Louis. I have. I have for my sins. Oh, yeah. is it just me? Yeah, you've, yeah, only you've seen. Oh, it. okay. All right. Well. Buckle in, guys. I'll give you oh. all the spoilers. Yeah. Louis the only um, one with three free hours in his day to go three, see this three movie. And a half hours. It's so hard. It it is we basically long. have to take off work. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It <laughs> it is plan really on your night around. It's also yeah. one of those films that you can tell if 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 the studio wasn't terrified of upsetting Scorsese, would have ended a good like hour before it actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like every every scene that you see, you think is going to be so the last true. scene. They must have shot another so much footage for it. Like to then, cut it in, well, no, to cut it into three and a half hours. They must oh, have shot, like, yeah, imagine yeah. seeing the director's cut of the Irishman and yeah. that's four and a half hours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's truly epic. And I mean, in the, in the true sense, it just covers so much time and so many places. And But should it end? Should there be an end? Was well, three and a half hours too long? I don't know. Was it too feel, short? You know, well, you know, the film, it reminded me of a lot. I mean, there are so many references to time. lots of, yes. Because it's, it's really long. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, it's the yeah. same, And it's the same <laughs> kind of structure of film in that, you know, you get introduced, this isn't giving anything away, you get introduced to someone kind of at the end of their lives and it's kind of the journey that they've been on. And there's a lot of like CGI that like puts on there, like yeah. gets rid of his wrinkles so you sort of see him as a young chap. How did that look? A couple of people said it looked a bit like video, video yeah. gamey. I didn't. I didn't like it, but it didn't ruin it. So. Did it look like a Snapchat filter? Yeah, it actually did. It actually did. You know when like De Niro, that little bunny is, and right. like, it's literally <laughs> like if one of us them. used the Snapchat filter, which was like a De Niro filter. <laughs> <laughs> it was like make yeah. you look like a young De Niro, and yeah, you can totally tell. Of, I feel like, it but it's necessary quickly. for the story for him to be younger, isn't yeah. it? And yeah. instead yeah. of recasting a younger actor, yeah, absolutely. Which they will. Which they've done in movies. Well, like the Godfather. Yeah, Godfather's yeah. really good. Yeah. Like De Niro yeah. and... Um, Do you approve this use of technology? Uh, it's not disparate from makeup, but it's a technological form of I makeup. I don't hate it. I always... I, with, with CGI, I, I actually always think about Nolan. I think you once told me this mm. about Nolan, Dom, about Did the I? fact Who's that, that he hates... He hates... Um, he CGI. hates to use CGI because he thinks it dates it really quickly, and he, he does to make things. Yeah, he real. Use, he does a really cool thing where he uses he does things for real, and then yeah. he uses CGI to enhance that. Yeah. So the basis of what you're looking at is not different is from practical. Spielberg. No, exactly. A lot yeah. of directors do that. Yeah. But then I guess when you're de-aging someone, you can't. Yeah, you, you can't <laughs> you do it can. for real. <laughs> well, yeah, we're gonna give you a skin we, graft. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we gave him a facelift. Yeah. yeah. I don't. Look, I mean, it would have it, it would have been a shame to use different actors because when you get Pacino and Pesci and De Niro all, all in a All three together, of them are de-aged. Uh, yes. Yes, they are. You'd well, have to. Wow. I, 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 it's less obvious that uh, Pacino is because he plays an older guy. Yeah. I saw he, I saw so a behind not. the scenes thing where he was wearing like a wig which mm. made him look way younger mm. anyway. I, I, I got, it's more Pesci because it, it's not, you don't see it in all of them. De Niro, a lot of the movie, he plays someone quite young so he's obviously done and Pesci as well. 
Mm. There's a one scene where we first see it where it's so blindingly obvious and then you kind of get used to it. Interesting. So is it, it's a good film though? Worth a watch? Really good. Really right. good. Very self-indulgent. Lots of, Ar- <laughs> lots of right, Irish right. people? Um, <laughs> no, famously not what? actually. Yeah. <laughs> this movie's a lie. Uh, <laughs> well, it's an A, not an E. Not Irish men. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, oh, it's all right. good. Sorry, dad. Yeah. <laughs> See me after class. So, <laughs> Dom and I had quite the romantic car drive during which we had some leisurely time to talk about the ethicality of using technology. Yeah, that's true. We did. In film. Uh, and in what, this Jeremy? case, I think that CGI to make someone look younger is somewhat passable, right? Because you're sure. not replacing sure. the actor. But Dom mm. brought up this James James uh, Dean yeah. film. Have you guys heard about mm. this? So they, yeah. They've yeah. cast these filmmakers. They've have... cast James Dean <laughs> post-mortem. Yeah. So presumably <laughs> they, they, they are... got the intellectual rights to him. Presumably yeah. they are like, there is going to be an actor in it and then they're going to superimpose James Dean onto oh, all of the The way movies. I've read it, he's going to be computer generated. The entire so time. That, so, they, so there'll be a scene be where I'm just talking to blank space well, and a ten- to a tennis ball. Inevitably, maybe. there will be a fill-in, yeah. right? Like exactly. A, prop, yeah. like so a stand-in, will, right? Yeah. No, but yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know if there will be. Well, typically, I'm just saying to in the film, yeah, to yeah. the actor, like they need Gollum. someone standing there. You look at a real person. Exactly. Yeah. Fine. Yeah, That's quite common. It's like it's like Arnie Hammer in The Social Network. Like... Is it he, yeah, his twins? And I stuff. guess the question is like he's alive and yeah. they're, they're right. duplicating him, and he's got his consent. Whereas James Dean hasn't been alive for like mm. over sixty years <laughs> yeah. or something. So someone's got his right, so, the rights to him. Yeah, and basically everyone's in out- outrage about it because yeah. it's like he he doesn't have any choice. Apparently his family have allowed it, yeah. or they've managed to buy the rights off yeah. his yeah. family. But it's an interesting one. There it is was an a, interesting um, one. So there was an ad in 2013, back to advertising. Oh yeah, the Audrey Hepburn. Audrey Hepburn one in yeah. the Galaxy ad, and there was the same hoo ha about it then because it was it was a real. It sort of seemed like a real, you know, live action yeah. ad yeah. with yeah. actual Audrey Hepburn in there. And I think what they did was they found a lookalike and then did CGI to make her look even more. Do you similar. think that's worse because it's an ad versus like a film? I I don't think it's worse, but I think it's allowable because you're not saying that this is Audrey Hepburn and that this would be Audrey Hepburn had she been alive, which assumes a lot about personhood. Mm. And I think that's legally where things get a little morally gray. Yeah. I mean, ethically, I think the ethical issue relies on the problem of consent, right? There is no way that you can obtain consent from that person. Exactly. And I know you're like, fine, maybe your descendants or your family say it's okay, but... It's, it's, not, still, it's, weird. Same. it's okay? still weird. No, I don't you know. don't have the ability yeah. to give your consent to it, so yeah. it yeah. sort of seems a bit shaky. It'd be the same to me if uh, an AI-generated computer decided to start writing Mark Twain as if they were Mark Twain. <laughs> publishing it as And Mark then Twain. publishing it as Mark Twain. It's <laughs> yeah. not yeah. Mark Twain. You yeah. almost basically need the casting not to be James Dean, but to be this new like <laughs> thing, <laughs> like yeah. avatar of James Dean. It's, kind, it's, yeah, it's kind of odd. Yeah. Underscore. yeah, it's odd to think that he's going to be in it. James yeah. Tween. <laughs> Apparently the same people have got the rights to like Elvis Presley, about, so like Warren, Warren Beatty. I don't like the idea of having the rights Warren to well, Warren Beatty is still alive, I think. Yeah, it, yeah but I think they've, different. Got, they've oh, somehow oh, got, got the rights to him should he pass away, I guess. Um, it's weird. Yeah. It's kind of, uh, but it's kind of interesting to see it nonetheless but then it's like do you think De Niro for example will sign the rights to him to use him after so that's, he's that's different though. if you're alive and you sign it away that's mm. one thing but when yeah, like, one thing, like yeah. James Dean like, when he doesn't have any say in the yeah, matter that's, that's no, but then, okay yeah. but then it's like even yeah, if Robert De Niro is allowed it would you still want to go see a movie where he's not actually I think it's it, okay if he's, if he's allowed it I can't see the, the issue then you know in like 40 yeah. years you might just have a bunch of headlining movies but the, like the new trend after superhero <laughs> movies might just be like movies that are led by people that are no longer yeah. alive also when you see a film with an actor in it let's say a De Niro film you're not just you're not just seeing De Niro you're seeing De Niro act 
Do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, that's what I mean. And, so how and if there was a CGI choices. version of De Niro, fine. Maybe it's like <laughs> CGI a De Niro. CGI that looks like De Niro is making emotive faces. CGI De Niro. It can't act the way De Niro acts because that's the whole point. Like it's, yeah, it's, but they, it's but something it, that only he can do. Yeah, but then they've somehow James Dean surely is going to be compelling enough in this film to. It will look like him, but yeah. it won't be the way he would have acted it. Do you know what I mean? They can't. I, possibly yeah, know you can't that. know for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think at some level you have to accept that all of this is fake. No one's ever heard of Dinosaur Jurassic World. Not know what a Velociraptor sounds like. What about the T-Rex's uh, yeah, exactly. image but, like, in Jurassic World? Yeah, didn't Spielberg, Spielberg just went to the zoo, didn't Yeah, it? exactly. <laughs> but like, just to make it very basic, no one knows what that's like, so it's all fake. And I yeah. think you have to understand that James Dean will always be fake if it's a CGI-generated genes. Yeah. yeah. It actually brings up uh, a labor rights issue, right? Because you could envision a world where there are no new actors where it's mm. the classics sure. forever on repeat because <laughs> yeah. they're just CGI generated versions of themselves that go in perpetuity. You, right? you could get Leonardo DiCaprio to play Leonardo DiCaprio in a movie yeah. about Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh my God, that's such a good idea. Like, Which makes me think of that Nicolas Cage thing. The Nicolas Cage thing. Oh my God, we should, we should talk about that quick. We really that, should. So he's been cast in a film about him, <laughs> about himself in the nineties with him talking to himself. <laughs> about his career yeah. it's bizarre I remember reading the title it was like Nicolas Cage film about Nicolas Cage, Nicolas Cage starring Nicolas, Nicolas Cage, Cage as Nicolas Cage yeah. <laughs> it, is, it is funny you do get it it's also the type of thing that only Nicolas Cage would do like yeah. you, could, you could really only do that with Nicolas yeah, Cage so true. It, it is quite funny when you occasionally get people literally playing themselves yeah. like it, it occasionally happens so like John Malkovich that he, but also and, people versus OJ Simpson like mm. they're all actors in that but there's one there's a journalist in it who plays himself so he was a journalist in the trial oh really yeah. so he was in his like 20s and now he's in his oh, 50s wow. and he plays himself in in the show that's, that's interesting is it any different from an autobiography actor writing their own script and then starring in, as themselves in their own movie there's something about dramatising it that feels different the thing is Cage will be playing two versions of himself because he'll be playing the 90s version yeah, with and- CGI well, maybe he'll play. Yeah, maybe <laughs> the younger version of himself. They'll yeah. de-age him, and yeah. then he'll be playing the modern day version of himself, as I understand it. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I, mean, I feel like it I came feel about. like that's morally wrong somehow. I, yeah. I feel like it came about because they just got drunk together and were like, "Wouldn't this be weird?" <laughs> High ideas. What if we just let's uh, just say it it's like an Elon Musk movie? Yeah. <laughs> no, next is gonna be like he's directing like... and producing it, Nicolas Cage, yeah. Yeah. and he's yeah. like lighting it and like exactly shooting produced it. by Elon Musk. Uh, okay, so the uh, film this week is Nightcrawler. I thought, as we usually do, I just say the synopsis of the film. It's definitely my favorite X Men <laughs> <laughs> sequel to so, Daycrawler. So the synopsis is: uh, When Louis Bloom, a con man desperate for work, muscles into the world of LA crime journalism, he blurs the line between observer and participant to become the star of his own story. I really enjoyed rewatching this. Dylan and I rewatched this together. Mm, we had a little romantic night. In a rainy night in Bournemouth. I watched it horribly hungover this morning. <laughs> what happened last night? I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Those eyes. Sunken in eyes. Yeah. yeah. So I brought this up. So it, it's impossible to not talk about a film before you start talking about the film in the pod. <laughs> <laughs> Second we mentioned it, I brought up the fact that Jake Gyllenhaal basically starved himself for this role. He was trying to embody a spirit animal of a coyote, someone mm. who's desperately hungry mm. and a scavenger, uh, which is actually the opening shot of the film. He's scavenging. Uh, scrap metal yeah, that's true it does have and a, the opening line yeah. is I'm lost as well yep. yeah that is the opening line yeah yeah good film anyway well that was it so see you next week right we can wrap up here <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, but no, they did true. use makeup to uh, deepen the effects of his eyes. Yeah. yeah, his eyes are probably the most captivating part of the film, which actually led eyes, us to like, compare him to uh, to the Joker. He uh, would play a great Joker. Yeah, yeah. A film yeah. That about that when we were focuses it. on his yeah. facial expression because yeah. I feel like that is the focus of the film. When he laughs, yeah. when he cringes, when he goes crazy in the mirror, everything. So well, a, a reviewer um, wrote a really interesting thing. It said his eyes looked like they were painted on, right, which yeah. I thought was really good because he basically doesn't blink, does yeah. he? That's his thing. Mm. Just to say quick, I, I actually some. Someone had compiled a video on YouTube of, of basically this argument that Jake Gyllenhaal acts with his eyes. Mm. And it's really interesting. Has anyone seen Prisoners, the mm-hmm. Denis Villeneuve film? Has this twitch with his eyes that mm. carries on like throughout the film. Mm. And no one ever told him to do it or like told him to act that way. He just like developed it through his character. It's really interesting. Like, and you actually look at all his other movies, like even Donnie Darko. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. quite. His eyes are always like the kind of focal point. Of so I was going to ask it about at this point, what what point in his career did this come out he was so this is from Darko 2014 was, yeah he's yeah. quite big at this point this is he, very he'd, late in his career. He'd, he'd already done zodiac which is pretty big yeah i mean oh, yeah. brokeback was the pinnacle of, of his career yeah, yeah, where yeah. he be, he exploded on the scene that and was yes, before then nightcrawler wasn't he it ex- yeah. that's an unfortunate yeah. choice of words no nightcrawler he was already he was a big household name by the time nightcrawler came out i think exactly yeah after brother i think this is the point in his career where he truly started to experiment more in film and in theater I think he had the financial freedom to De- do so. Yeah. yeah, definitely best character I've seen him play. Did Nightcrawler uh, do uh, get any Oscar buzz or anything? So it's fa- it kind of famously got snubbed. It was in a heavily touted year. I mean, Twelve Years a Slave came out that year. So many films came out that year that I think that it was pushed into yeah. the back. It, it of got Oscar nominated for, for best original screenplay. Yeah, quite rightly. Okay. Yeah. For all the middle management uh, lines that came out of that script. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're going to get onto that because that's We'll hilarious. talk about that, yeah. So Dan Gilroy, who directed this, he's been a screenwriter for a while. So he did, um, he co-wrote The Bourne Legacy mm. and weirdly Kong Skull Island that we were talking about last episode. <laughs> yeah, why do we keep coming back to Kong Skull Island? I was reading that. I was like, this is so bizarre. <laughs> we were talking about it. Um, yeah. And co-wrote Rogue One. But yeah, so he's been on the scene writing for ages. Yeah. But it's a really well-written script it's quite interesting Very like because well he doesn't really have an arc i don't think it's an arc so much as it is a straight line up yeah 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 definitely a crescendo yeah. he's just like dan Gilroy's designed that by yeah. i think so by design yeah i guess point. an arc would be a bit too human for that character yeah yeah yeah, yeah, uh, yeah the whole point is he's a bit sort of dead behind the eyes isn't he he's i a, read one uh review that said that it's lou becoming an extremist in every sense of the word. That's interesting. Uh, he, oh, okay. he takes a profession and he does what other humans do, but takes it one step further <laughs> yeah. to the point that everyone else is uncomfortable around it. Yeah. <laughs> so though, I, I did read uh, just briefly, there was this photographer from the 1940s that Dan Gilroy was going to make a film about who basically did actually take pictures at crime scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there was a 1992 film called The Public Eye with Danny DeVito <laughs> that came out and the front cover for it is so funny. Uh, so he shelved the idea then, and then I think when he moved to LA, he he then found out um, about Stringers. So Nightcrawler's not actually well. This is slightly debated, but from my research, Nightcrawler's not actually was never actually a phrase to describe these people. Right. They're called right. st- Stringers, okay. which is what she yeah. calls him in the movie when she first meets him. She's like, "Oh, you're a Stringer." Yeah. yeah. So where does that term come from then? I did do some research online, and it is an existing term. It's an extant term, but it doesn't necessarily apply to journalism. It what? just applies to someone who's socially active at night. What Stringer or Nightcrawler? Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think that the word only appears once in the film. It's when his rival says, yeah. I've been night crawling for 14 years. Yeah. And yeah. I think that it's just like a loose term that describes their haunts. They're haunting around at night. Yeah. Yeah. 
And we're done. <laughs> <laughs> but just to bring it back to the roots of the film, I do think that this is your classic first writer's writer's film, if that makes sense. Yeah, okay. Like someone who discovers a profession yeah. or yeah. an industry or a thing that exists and finds it so captivating that they explore it in all of its facets. But interesting to know it was kind of inspired by a real character. Yeah. On some level. Yeah. And I also a real profession. Yeah. It is a real profession. Yeah. yeah. Apparently these guys are like losing out a lot of money now because people yeah. just shoot with their smartphone and put it on Twitter. Everyone does <laughs> right. it. Yeah. I mean, this is the TMZ of the world. There's nonstop news. <laughs> people just constantly are finding new things to do. And yeah. if Nightcrawler just followed its own logical route, it would be, you know, someone just taking this and posting it on Instagram mm. or Twitter. Yeah. Constantly. Like you don't need a newsroom to do this anymore. And in fact, it's gotten more graphic if you think about Worldstar. If you think yeah. about other popular yeah, pages that'll yeah, post yeah. literally anything without any sort of screen or filter. Yeah. It's good to have American uh, voice at the table, actually, for this as well. <laughs> so, um, for lots of reasons, but also partly because I guess the news culture there is so different to, to is. pretty much anywhere else in the world. Yeah. Like over here, I guess it might it might just be the dominance of the BBC that keeps it quite kind of like, I suppose news is mainly consumed, at least in TV format, it's mainly consumed through kind of quite official channels that have very strict guidelines on what they can show. Which is not mm. the case in the United States. Whereas it's very, very deregulated <laughs> in the States. Fake news it? is real. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, it reminds me, so I went to, I, I saw Vice quite recently that's another thing we end up oh, talking the, the about the Fox News time. bit with, um, yeah where they talk Roger, about what's his name Sparrow's a big fan of Roger Ailes, Ailes. yeah 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 Roger Ailes yeah yeah so basically it has Roger Ailes when he's yeah. kind of junior mm-hmm. and he, he, there's a bit where he has the idea for Fox News and it's dismissed mm. yeah <laughs> and they talk about how like the Bush administration kind of took off any regulation around around news channels having to be sort of non-partisan yeah yeah and, yeah. and, and so it's completely right-wing news too. channel yeah, which I suppose in turn led to a sort of what well, could be a factor in the kind of competitiveness mm-hmm. in the news in in the news kind of environment in mm. the states. Well, we should stop calling it news. <laughs> we need to call <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. We need to call it what it is, which <laughs> is commentating. It's what they call yeah. news analysis Statistic now. Statistic show business. Right. Yeah, no, but the news corporations know exactly what they're doing. They call it news analysis for the description of what is effectively an op-ed. Yeah, and it allows for unfiltered talking about any topic that's truly opinionated and isn't based in fact. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I suppose. Yeah. It just then becomes Radio a platform. News. It yeah. then just becomes a platform to like <laughs> a news to, gathering service. <laughs> it becomes a platform just to kind of confirm and string out stories that that they want to tell, rather than stories that actually happened. So yeah. like, there's that really really interesting bit in Nightcrawler that I think could be given more more focus. Her, the news editor, oh, Nina, Nina, Nina yeah. and and her colleague, the yeah. guy who sort of is the voice of the conscience of the of the office. Yeah, yeah. Where he says, he was, the, he the was, stories changed. Like yeah. they, they, they were drug they were drug dealers. Like yeah. You know, sort of, and she's like, nah, nah, put that on the noon on the noon news. And then she says, like, you sound like Lou. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's like, I think Lou's inspiring us all to reach a little higher. Which <laughs> itself, which itself is echoed, right? He says that to to his his employee earlier in the yeah. film. Oh, interesting. Um, where he's like, Come on, I think we can inspire ourselves to reach a little higher. Oh, yeah, guy does, yeah. 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 Which yeah. is like a really creepy. Like, we should back. talk about all that corporate management yeah, bullshit. Corporate yeah. bullshit. Yeah, yeah. because yeah. it, it's so funny, but it does paint a bigger yeah. thing of how he's this this whole kind of sadistic twisted yeah. version of the american dream right i do want to get to that but i did want to tie in the crown to all this oh yeah I wanted, <laughs> so Wait, is this your one wild theory my one wild no well, it's not really a wild okay. theory it's okay. just a wild analysis maybe okay. let's put it that way but <laughs> from video production news and news gathering service <laughs> but talking about the morality of news gathering i wanted to bring up the crown and its coverage of royal events because i was thinking directly with princess diana mm. and the coverage mm. and how people think that that directly led to her death mm. and 
it was Nightcrawlers chasing her and mm. taking photographs of her and not yeah. necessarily helping her at the scene. That I Diana think is directly connects to. Yeah, yeah, she, right. she, yeah. Being, she was being chased by journalists, right? Yeah, yeah. Yes. I think yeah. I think in the UK, yeah. in the UK, like that Diana's death was probably the major event in the big kind of like um, counteroffensive, I guess, by by British people against the kind of tabloid culture. Obviously, tabloid culture has got stronger and stronger and stronger, but I think it was one of the first times, certainly, that I, in my lifetime, where the dark side of that came so so prominently to the fore mm. um and it and it's it's constantly strung out and it's interesting actually quite recently prince harry gave an interview talking about how terrible uh, no he started legal action that's what it was he, he started legal action against um against i'm not sure who it is now is it the son or is it whoever for basically hounding his wife and he's kind of saying it's echoing what happened to diana and it, yeah i think it's you're right the royal family is a big part of um of like tabloid culture in the UK. The, the Diana thing specifically though, because even for years and years, I mean, even sometimes now, the, the tabloids still kind of dig it out and dine out on it. Like yeah. in, in Britain, really? certainly. Yeah, it went, yeah, literally for years, like there was going on about all these theories, all yeah. this sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, the tabloids just loved it. Yeah. yeah. I, guess, I guess it was a bit of a like, by the time it, by the time people realized how damaging it was, it was a little bit too late. Like kind of tabloid culture in the UK was quite a useful tool for politicians, for celebrities, for PR. By the time, I think in the late 90s, it became so obvious how damaging it could be. Yeah, I was going to say, night, it's I mean, too big and it can't really be shunned now. It's interesting, Nightcrawler, how it culminates. It's like, it, it, you kind of get this sense of like, at what cost is mm. Lou winning to go? But actually he's rewarded every time something something he does something bad, mm. right? And I guess the reason he's successful is because he's willing to go further than anyone else. Yeah, exactly. And that, that if that, it bleeds, it leads. Is it? Ble- <laughs> yeah, yeah. I believe in a strong work ethic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I remember hearing Dan Gilroy, director, talking about how he uh, he he basically said at the start of the film he doesn't have a job, and by the end of the film he has a thriving, successful business. That's mm-hmm. that's his journey. Like Dan said, it's a it's a diagonal line. It's not necessarily an emotional arc. Yeah, all these corporate man- management kind of lines that he says. Uh, just ways I, my reading of it was it was just ways to, for him to justify the, the bad things he was doing yeah, yeah, yeah. basically I was just gonna say that uh, the, the corporate bullshit I love it because Louis <laughs> it, it, it kept reminding me of you <laughs> <laughs> it's been Kev. proven that in any team that relies on cooperation <laughs> yeah. the single biggest factor is communication <laughs> <laughs> we were laughing about that scene when he goes into the house and he films all the, the people that have been killed in the mansion and then um, Rick comes out and he's like what were you doing and then they run back to the car and he like has a go at him you need to be showing more initiative yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, this like, would be a great opportunity for you to show some initiative and truly tap your growth <laughs> oh, it's so true it's so funny because all those lines they uh, they basically make it yeah. a comedy and he says them so much it is a comedy and yeah. this actually and it's not goes just back, a comedy as yeah, well yeah this goes back 150 years the uh, the the self will uh, of the American man and whether or not he can make himself into something. Mm-hmm. There, there have been countless numbers of uh, of courses like this that give you these lines, yeah. uh, and, and it, it, it's so funny to hear in the film because it starts off as something that every American would recognize and then turns really? into something that you're right, becomes the du- justification for all yeah. his <laughs> ill actions, which are truly nefarious. It's hilarious. Yeah. And I guess that the, the, the other purpose that those lines serve, at least to me is, is showing how he's essentially, a, essentially is, is a kind of sociopath, right? So yeah. he, he doesn't, he doesn't have like human relatability. He doesn't actually kind of like, 
uh, empathize with other characters. He doesn't have mm. a sense of like morals or ethics or anything. But what he does have is the ability just to kind of like, almost like his mind is a blank slate because he doesn't have any of those human qualities. Mm. He has the ability to just kind of imprint on his character mm. what he's read in these like small business courses. <laughs> and so and so he just parrots what he's read. I spend a lot of time on my computer. The parrot is yeah. the word. He's, he just churns out these lines. Yeah. He's yeah. just memorized them and it's just completely soulless. When he, yeah. Exactly. And it's like yeah. you don't really understand it. You're just kind yeah, of yeah. like doggedly sticking to yeah, his, yeah. his principles. You know when he says to Rick like you took away my bargaining power. <laughs> but that's why like, he killed him. Yeah. 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 And, he's, and he says that thing to Rick in the car and Rick's like I want more money. He's like oh the, the value of a job is not just the value of the dollar that comes with it and it's yeah. like you're just yeah. saying that so that you don't have to give him a raise using it against him. Yeah. It's funny though like for a while so for a while his kind of trajectory of like success is something that you sort of are rooting for and I suppose you're always rooting for it because of the anti-hero effect but there's a kind of a, a period where you think well fair enough he's just sort of trying to sort of get involved with this quite dark he's very industry. polite as well there is a turning point I think in the film which is when he basically tries to um, uh, like get that get Nina to sleep with him blackmail yeah blackmail Nina yeah. into sort of prostitution <laughs> that, yeah. is the, that is the moment where you're like okay this guy's nuts well, do you know I, what well, I mean I th- well I think it's, I actually think the um there's one thing at the very beginning which makes you realise that he's always a, a bad guy when he beats up the security guard. Yeah, I was going to say. If they, if they didn't yeah. have that scene in, you wouldn't know any different. You might just be like, he's just a bit socially inept and stuff. But because they put that in at the beginning, yeah. you know he's slightly off from the off. I know Dan Gilroy saying this was that uh, he was worried that if they showed that at the start, which was him killing the security guard, that from then on the audience won't really have any mm. reason to be on his side. Yeah. But the next scene directly after that, you, he's trying to get a job and you know yeah. he's presented with that guy mm. who's like basically a, I say the other guy's an asshole. he kind of isn't because his reason to not he's hire not, him is he's that just, he's, a, he's, a he's a thief, thief. Yeah. yeah not an asshole at all no but you, <laughs> he's the only you, person in the film who recognizes Lou for what he is yeah that's so true actually but he does um, but in a, in that scene you something happens that everyone can relate to which is like he's, yeah. he doesn't have any money he just wants to try and get a job so you can kind of yeah. draw in a little bit you know it's interesting though that isn't it yeah you're right that that like um, the hand is shown from the first scene that he, this guy's a little like clearly unhinged mm. rather than just kind of trying to get by yeah one thing one question that that's actually brought up for me is um you know the watch that he steals yeah, yeah. it's also the parting shot it's the end of the end of the film it like focuses on the watch yeah. and i feel like there's something in that maybe this is somebody's one wild theory i don't know yeah but i feel like there's something in that 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 is worth exploring. I haven't really had the time to really think about it, but it's an interesting kind of like, you know, full circle that it all kind of came down to that instinct that made him take the watch. He steals that from the... The guard. The guard, yeah. And you see him like playing with it in the first scene or the second scene when he kind of drives away. Yeah. And then it's present obviously throughout and then it focuses in on the end. As though like that, that, you know, it sort of depicts his uh, character. The scene that I, I, I always find really funny, which I found funny rewatching it, and I just rewatched that scene again, was when he has the bike and he's trying to sell it to that guy on Venice <laughs> yeah, Beach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. like, this bike has yeah, 37 yeah. gears, no I, bike has I won, 37 gears. I won the gears. tour to Mexico twice yeah. on this. <laughs> you do get a sense in that scene where you're just like, he's, yeah. he's like, once he get a hold of an idea that he wants to do, yeah. he will take it to the absolute limit. Even He'll if it's say what he needs to say. Yeah, even if do. it's ridiculous. So would you like some American context? Yeah, hit oh. it up. So I talked about the history of self-help and self-reliance yeah. in corporate America. And this actually extends back pretty far. And one of the most famous orators is Napoleon Hill, who wrote a book called Mastermind. These were his keys to success. 
And he, if you read these quotes, it's almost like the fodder for everything that Lou Bloom does. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So just to give you a few, you are the master of your destiny. You can influence, direct, and control your own environment. You can make your life what you want it to be. <laughs> and when you read Mastermind, or if you hear any of his quotes, right, he's always talking about how you can use other people and things to promote yourself. And mm-hmm. it's really just giving context to all this. Like, it's really just... It's speaking to the type of person who has nothing. Mm. And it's this idea that anyone can control their destiny. Anyone can use other people or other things at any cost yeah. to yeah. build your own success. I was going to say, I did. it did make me think, is Nina like a bad character or bad person for allowing... He, mm. She basically rewards it and allows it. I know there's obviously other things that happen between them that are bad on her. Mm. But she essentially creates this environment where he can thrive right or is it more this or is it more the news network that well she's definitely not psychopathic which maybe makes her even worse do you know what i mean because she's sort of (laughs) taking but it's an interesting the thing that underpins everything i guess in this film at least in when in his news career is this idea that like well it's just giving the people what they want it's like i mean i don't want to I don't want to ruin my uh, wild theory thing later, but basically it's like a reflection of just the free market. You know, like Mm. the only reason she wants it is because she'll get fired if she doesn't. And the reason she needs to do it is because that's what people will, you know, watch the channel for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So it's like, there's a question of whether you, you think it's immoral or whether you just think it's, it's capitalism at work. He is also quite clever and puts her in that position where he becomes her only source of great material. Yeah. Yeah. And then she doesn't have a choice. But I love that scene. Dylan and I were chatting about it earlier when he goes to leave and mm. she's like, where, you know, he has that video of the mansion killing, I think. And she's like, where are you going? Mm. And then he turned, there's this great shot where he turns yeah, it's around. It's like a love it. scene. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. It's like yeah. a rom-com and he walks towards her and spouts all this kind of, you know, I, I want say this. I want it. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, and then when you see her face again, mm. she's gone from being nice to almost, we were saying like she looks scared, but interested. Oddly attracted yeah, yeah, to that true, energy. Yeah. Yeah. And then it cuts to that. Like, the, very next scene she, the very next scene, she's doing exactly what she he wants, yeah. which yeah. is yeah, you're yeah, going yeah. to introduce me to all these people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They do have like a weird... people in the corridor. He's like, loving that tie today. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the exact kind of thing that you would see in a book that's like compliment on everyone that you yeah. walk past. Yeah, yeah. And I be... can tell it's Thursday because you're wearing the gold yeah. tie. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the difference between Nina and Lou is that Lou is so kind of psychopathic that I don't think he even like is shocked or horrified or in any way like put off by the blood and the guts and all the awfulness and stuff that he captures i think nina so nina has that line where where he's like saying what do you want what kind of stuff footage do you want and she goes the simplest way i can put it is imagine a a woman like uh, yelling running down the street with her throat cut and it's like i think she does understand how horrific it is but she just sort of shrugs her shoulders and things like that's what people need what's the means it's the means to their end i don't think anyone really cares yeah (laughs) she can kind of turn a blind eye it's almost like the the night crawlers are because they're kind of contracted in they they don't have to abide by kind of ethical standards so it can kind of just be like allowed even though Mm. you could dig into it and be like you know, you, you have to follow our stand, you know, every, all the work, our suppliers have yeah. to follow our standards sort of thing. Don't you get the sense that it's always, everyone's thinking is it's someone else's job, mm, right? Exactly. Like bring legal in here, bring in the, uh, the editor that can pixelate their face. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Lou doesn't care because as long as the newsroom doesn't care, he can yeah. move a body. He can yeah. tamper with the brakes of a competitor's car. And they care. end up tampering with it themselves. Even yeah. when the raw footage before it goes out to tell another story yeah. or to, or to, focus in on yeah. aspects of what the footage is yeah. yeah and when they learn the alternate truth that this was all uh yeah it's still not when the murder was actually a drug deal and not this white mm. suburban crime mm. right uh they say push it to tomorrow 
because it's not part of our newscast. Mm. Yeah. I guess that ties into a larger theme of the film, right? Which is that like the, the classic defense that any kind of media um, organization can make, no matter how horrendously sort of vicious or irresponsible it is, is that all they're doing is commenting. So the it's the age old defense. It's like, well, we don't commit the crimes. We just report on them however we, however we feel it's necessary. So yep. you can't attack us. We're just the messenger. Yeah. And this film larger theme is a little bit like, well, where is the line between observation and actually actual participation? And mm. it's, it's embodied in, in Lou, right? Because he actually does cross the line. Like <laughs> undoubtedly he pulls bodies out and he yeah, like, I was going to say that scene when he breaks and he, yeah, when he cuts the brakes and the guys on the, on the stretcher. Yeah going past and he's got the camera and there's this really low shot where it looks up, it kind of goes up at his face and yeah. he's just like really intensely filming him and the guy's like what the fuck <laughs> yeah. it's like he knows like yeah he knows but it does but it does still make you it does still make that's that's that was a thought that kind of like came out of it for me which was just this idea of like well where where is your where is your sort of like line that you draw between observation yeah. and participation like even even lou right you could say nothing that he does is like actually a direct sort of cause of harm so like he doesn't shoot his what's his well, name well he cuts the brakes to be clear he cuts the brakes he cuts the brakes but he doesn't <laughs> attack the guy no, 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 it's but, like all of these things where it's like it, stuff happened as a result of what he's but done he, he does but do he does it though do it. he does yeah, he do does. it he, cu- he cut the brakes it's like, like also, the, also the journalist when um or you know when his uh, colleague gets shot at the end, like mm. obviously he yeah. he doesn't shoot him, but he he full well knows what he's doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's the, my point. It's like I, I, he obviously takes much greater steps than I think everyone anyone else. else would. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, But it's still not hundred percent like him doing stuff directly. Yeah. So when he says, um, "I want to take you by the ears and yell at you and stuff," he doesn't. He's sort of like he he doesn't go the full hog of basically like attacking someone himself. He just kind of like lets nature take its course he's, by he, influencing it on the outside. But it's funny um, because yeah. he's asked twice, right? When he's filming his competitor, the breaks he cut, mm. and the guys on the stretcher, mm. uh, Rick protests. He says he's one of us. Mm. You can't, you can't film this. And he says, "Well, that's our job." Mm-hmm. And at the very end, when the cop calls him out for filming his own coworker, or I should say, his oh, employee, Nina says that as well, right? Yeah, she, yeah. yeah. Isn't that partner. one of your? Isn't that that's yeah. your partner? And they pause yeah. it while he's looking. Exactly. The yeah, and, and then when they they it, go yeah. in to kiss, and it's Rick's face Pace. staring at both of them. Yeah. And then again, when he's in the interrogation room, I guess it's three times, and when he's in the interrogation room, the cop calls him out, says, like, that's your employee. You don't seem too upset about that. And he mm. said, well, that's my job. So in Britain, and it wouldn't have been, I, I don't think it would have been a relevant sort of factor in this script, because I don't know if, how big this is outside of the UK, but in Britain, coming back to that tabloid thing, there was this whole... Um, there was this whole legal case that was that actually led to the news of the world being shut down where phone hacking right became like the the focus of like ethics in in journalism and the defense from the news of the world staff that would do a court basically hacking phones or not just of celebrities but also of like victims of horrible crimes to try and get you know some news out of it um we're basically using that defense of all we're doing is observing like all we're doing is kind of like yeah collecting information we're not actually like causing any harm directly Mm. and i think it yeah it keys into this bigger thing of like the media's role not just in observing but sometimes in actually you know worsening yeah Yeah. so we were over there (laughs) (laughs) i was just 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 thinking just yeah just generally widely i I still don't really not i I don't know where the kind of like ethical line is drawn because like did you guys hear about the Ben Stokes thing? So basically, very, very simply... Oh, the cricket guy. Yeah, so the, it was the Ashes, yeah. which is a big cricket tournament here. Mm. Ben Stokes is a big cricketer, and he, he was kind of a bit more famous this summer because he was playing. But the press... So there was a there's a horrible story about what happened to um to his family when he was younger. Um, and basically, the some newspapers just dug this out. This was in the 80s. 
um, and just and it made made news and it was just it was completely it had it's just, there was just no need to bring it up but it was just dug yeah. out and it's just like what? because he was in the limelight he yeah was in well, this, well, well I can only yeah. assume so yeah, yeah. and it's just yeah. like because it sells newspapers but it's just like yeah so in the US there's this concept of what uh, if a public figure does something whether or not you should report on it and usually public figures lose out on these types of lawsuits because they're in the public eye mm. things they say and do are generally are generally viewed as reportable news but then uh, I don't know if you heard about the Hulk Hogan case <laughs> no yeah so Gawker reported on a sex tape they actually I think they posted mm, it too on. but they reported on the sex tape of Hulk Hogan and Peter Thiel who had a long spat with Gawker because they outed him as gay Peter Thiel as in the investor. Exactly. The, okay. the PayPal mafia and Facebook investor. Yeah. They outed him as gay and he lost a lawsuit against them because he didn't, it wasn't how he chose or wanted to be outed at right. all. Right. And it wasn't his will, but Gawker got away with it because they said, you're a public figure. We think this is in the mm. public interest, yeah. which yeah. is a little bit morally ambigu- ambiguous, yeah, yeah. but the damage is like, okay, it's just a fact about you. So most people mm. shouldn't or wouldn't care. But anyway, he underwrote this lawsuit by Hulk Hogan against Gawker, and Gawker lost a massive sum, and they actually went under as a result of it. Mm. Because wow. what does a sex tape have to do with yeah. the public's interest mm. in a per- private life? Yeah. yeah, Just because you're a public figure doesn't mean you should be. Yeah, and I guess there's also, it's not just like one story followed by another completely different story. I think what you often find as well is that there is just this bigger picture story that anything that confirms it gets gets published mm. and anything that doesn't it doesn't yeah mm. so and i think in the states and i suppose in this movie that's most clearly shown as like this american sort of fetish for for, for violent crime yeah well which specifically is why, urban crime creeping into white suburban exactly, areas yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> so like if the if the story the big story over there is like right okay the big story is you know the average middle class sort of what otherwise would be reasonably safe American family is under threat mm. by this kind of spread of like yeah. spate of violent mm, crime. Yeah. They just include all the stories that basically confirm that. Yeah. But anything that doesn't like confirmation bias. Bias. Yeah. yeah, exactly confirmation bias. What did uh what do you all think of Rick? Because I thought Riz Ahmed was amazing in this movie. I love yeah. Riz Ahmed. Yeah, I like yeah. him. Actually I, t- I was telling Dom this was the first well, like anything, film, show, otherwise, that I saw Riz Ahmed in. Mm. And I actually thought, I thought he was that simple. Yeah. <laughs> I rewatched so it. Because he did it so well. Yeah, I was going to say rewatching it. A little it. bit bumbling. Yeah. Couldn't and really get his words when out. he's like, like I could have got more, couldn't I? Yeah. yeah. I could have got more. We were, we were laughing so hard when he when he has the interview with him in the cafe. And he's like, <laughs> Why would I hire you? Why would I hire you? And he's like, oh, I took three buses I'm, to get here. Uh, hire Rick. He's like, uh, Hire Rick. <laughs> sell yourself. Uh, I'm Rick. <laughs> well, I'm Rick, obviously. <laughs> that interview, though, I, I found really interesting because the actual interview, Lou is actually kind of well dressed, and because he speaks all this corporate jargon, mm-hmm. it kind of you know you you could you could be forgiven for thinking that it was actually going to be like a professional career, yeah. Because it is like the interview, yeah. you know, it's in a cafe, it's it's completely plausible. Mm. Well, it's only then once he starts night calling that it, you start like you should realize that you can post this holes is not in legit. it. Yeah. What's yeah. so interesting he about he keeps saying we, he keeps saying the organization. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah, this it's incredible. It's some, yeah, it's a big firm. Yeah. Yeah. Video production yeah. news, a news gathering yeah. service. Yeah. Um, one of the things that's really weird about that is I remember uh, reading something someone wrote where they're saying one of the most unnerving things about Nightcrawler is exactly that that there are people that walk around 
spouting this crap mm. that, yeah. that have got to very high positions purely because they just give the illusion or yeah. the persona. Give to the gap. And you know what's so funny about that is that throughout that interview, he does ask the question, why would I hire you? And I think it becomes quite clear in retrospect that Lou was looking for someone exactly like that, someone exploitable. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And Lou, his whole life has been exploited clearly because he says that he hates people. Mm. And the second yeah. he has the chance, any semblance of power, he has a paycheck, he's able to create a, some sort of business, right? Mm. Able to have one employee, he finds the most exploitable type of person he mm. can. Yeah. yeah. It's an interesting thing that as well, isn't it? It makes you think about how as soon as you, as soon as you like dehumanize a, a, a piece of work or a piece of business or whatever into a company rather than a, a person or a collection of people. Because more legit kind of, somehow. Yeah. And it kind of also forgives all manner of ills. It suddenly becomes much more like, well, of course you can be much more kind of like ruthless and like deadly yeah. and not yeah. have empathy or emotion or anything like that, because that's sort of what's, what's right. called for, I guess. Yeah. And, Lou, and Lou is kind of like the persona of a greedy yeah. corporation. Yeah. And his microaggressions like, are so off-putting. <laughs> it's the type of stuff, it's the type of stuff you experience every Every day when someone, I don't know if you notice this, but every time he criticizes him, he does the typical HR thing where he's like, you know what, Rick, I'm, I'm seeing you're taking initiative. You're asking questions and I love that. But if you drip oil on my car one more time, <laughs> yeah, I will, I will fire you. Yeah. Yeah. I will terminate you. Yeah. It was yeah. always quite funny how he used those words. I'll terminate you. Because yeah. I remember when I first saw that, I was like, that sounds a little bit like you're going to kill him. And then it was a bit Later of a Later on, he does threaten the... physical aggression. Yeah, he says, exactly. that if you get in my way one more time, I will physically hurt you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's the scene where they're outside the Chinese food restaurant. Yeah. And he's but about he's, to call the police. Yeah, he's, he's like, if you don't get out there and take that camera it, with Doesn't you. he say something like, I'd like you to imagine that maybe, I, maybe the reason I don't, it's not that I don't understand people i don't like people yeah, i like, exactly. could be led to go to physical it's all yeah. the kind of like hypotheticals that's just really really scary i found yeah. that lines really like very entertaining to watch mm-hmm. and stuff i found it slightly jarring so i was like oh, so he does know what he's yeah doing like, self-aware i don't know are sociopaths meant to be that self-aware that they know that he's- i think they are well, the trait of sociopaths is that that you don't understand empathy it's just right. that you don't have it it's that okay. you're, you understand other people function this way. Yeah. Mm. And a sociopath takes it a step further and uses that against people. Yeah. I think that, it's yeah, like, yeah. So he, he doesn't have it, but he understands it. He yeah. understands it fully. Which is so funny when yeah. Rick is mm. like, you're weird, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't understand but That's people. your problem, man. You're a crazy guy. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like, so notwithstanding the fact that it's a, it's the, the psychopathy or sociopathy thing is, is like a massively, obviously, I suppose, hard to understand and probably like often misunderstood thing in film it's actually a bit of a gift to a writer sometimes to be able to kind of like explore a wider theme through the way a character acts. And that's just because they, like what we said earlier, then they're not guided by any kind of like pre-existing human emotion. So they can just get like any kind of thought process or ethical, you know, framework just printed on them. Yeah. And then they just get to express it. So I feel like I I can't think of any at the moment, but I feel like there are lots of films that use that device or like TV shows that use that device. I think a good example of a character that um, it reminds me of is um, have you guys all seen Good Time with Robert? Yeah. Basically, Robert Pattinson's character is um, he's not <laughs> yeah. he's nowhere near as smart as um, Jake Gyllenhaal, but basically he's does he has no he has no empathy for others, mm. um, and, it's he just, just and take, he just he takes from he's everyone. He's a complete user. He just takes and but he just allows yeah, like I said, it allows the writer just to 
it's just because it's, it's so alien to most people mm. cause most people have some kind of like mm. yes it's a, it's a very spectrum but most people have some kind of empathy yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but when they just have none yeah and yeah. that's the scary thing about Nightcrawlers is that with, with Good Time it, it, it's he's going down a rabbit hole you know yeah. it's going to end in, in a Badly, bad thing yeah. whereas actually with this it ends with him yeah, running a successful <laughs> video news gathering service yeah <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say the music was quite interesting because it was so uplifting in a lot of scenes yeah which was really weird <laughs> yeah. like the scene when he pulls the body out and he films it's like Lou's achieving his dream yeah like the music's very kind of every time he's capturing some horrific piece yeah. of content it, it, cre- it plays this sort of like really corny like graduation yeah. music yeah it? yeah. Like and I think that's deliberate stage. and it, 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 it's part of what kind of well, fuels f- this anti-hero effect like you're sort of you start going into bat for him you're like yeah, yeah come yeah, on man yeah, yeah, kill yeah. that body move like, that body yeah exactly <laughs> and it actually climaxes in the film when um, he's got like the you know the epic full piece of content that ends with his partner getting shot mm. and then the, and then yeah. that love scene between him and yeah. Nina. Yeah, he gets what he wants kind of professionally and personally. Yeah. Really yeah. In the end. I did kind yeah. of like how the film ended with some sort of like alternative rock music like he's transformed into this yeah. <laughs> rock star. Psychopathic but yeah. also yeah. badass type character who's made it to where he is yeah. and that chilling last line where he says and always remember I will never ask you guys to do anything yeah. that I wouldn't do myself. But yeah. He would do quite literally yeah. anything. <laughs> Another like management manual. Yeah, right. I was going right. to say yeah. that goes back to like you. He looks legit. He's got the vans. He's yep. got the uniforms. Yeah. They're uniforms. all like yeah. tan yeah. pants yeah. and matching polos. So here's a here's a little question. That character Lou, it'd be fascinating to see like a, an origin of it, as in how he got to be like mm. that. The Joker. But a question, yeah. But a question <laughs> is, do you think he was um basically born that way, or do you think he was made? Do you think he was always like that? Um, or he, yeah. he over his life he he was because it doesn't go into his past at all. No, um, he seems it seems like something has happened. I, I yeah. get the impression something has happened or something has consistently not happened for him, and he's blamed it on other people. Yeah, that Which, was going to be my wild theory. Oh, really? Okay, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Let, uh, really? Let's, yeah. Let's, let's let's not get too yeah. yeah let's yeah. hit on the wild theories then. So your yeah. wild theory was going to be the the that he's like some sort of orphan, like a Romulus and Remus left in the basket, but instead of founding a city and successful principles, successful news video gatherings. Yeah, <laughs> he used corporate bullshit to justify his own ends and uh, and transport him. That's a, that's some a pretty sort good theory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The typical American orphan, like, what do you do to make something yeah. of yourself? And his answer is literally anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, mine is that it was all a dream. Um, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Rule number one: <laughs> Dylan coached us all to not uh, to not not talk about it. Yeah, being for a some dream context, or... if you make it a dream, it's meaningless. <laughs> I was going to say, I've got theories. Okay, well. so I was going to say that we I should introduce because this is the first time we're even doing one wild theory, uh, and and Benas isn't here, so um, it's we're all going to bring one wild theory unsurprisingly and everyone's gonna have to see whether or not this all started it's, when it's, it's true one of us who shall remain nameless maybe overinterpreted the title <laughs> of american pie <laughs> as we would realized... have heard from last episode there was a 10 minute talk on what does american pie mean what's the american dream and we realized that regardless of what a director intends you can basically read anything into any film <laughs> if you if you will look hard the enough. artist is dead <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> We should name this section It Was All a Dream. <laughs> yeah, that's what Dom said, actually. That's a really good idea. I might have to do that in honor of Dylan. Yeah. So you were, you were, were you going down the rabbit hole? My one wild theory wasn't so much like, uh, it wasn't as wild as the idea of being like breastfed by wolves. But, <laughs> breastfed um, by coyotes. But it, it was this idea that like, um, if you take out the news thing and the journalism aspect of this film, that's all secondary. Actually, the primary focus of this film is about the 
it's like a critique of the free market, right? So I, I read a, <laughs> I read a book recently called The Moral. Dude, it's rolling his arms. So yeah, here we go, here we go. So there's a really interesting line that uh, that he comes, that he talks about where, where he just says, the true price of something is what someone is willing to pay for it, right? And that in, in a single line is the kind of definition of what a true free market is. Most human beings would probably say, well, no, the true price of something is partly what someone's willing to pay for it, but also maybe like the cost of, the, of human suffering, which is why... I don't know, like uh, slavery or prostitution or a lot of these things are mm. kind of not allowed within most markets because there's a price to it other than just what someone's willing to pay for it. Mm. Um, this guy basically, you know, you, you open up on this kind of like Wild West setting and this guy who espouses this kind of like management rhetoric <laughs> or whatever is basically just going on this journey of like, you know, what do I do within a completely free market just to make a success of myself in America? And mm. he happens to just fall upon journalism, but it kind of could have been anything. It could have been any, yeah. any, anything. Yeah. You kind of still see the same kind of journey for this character. And the only thing that's different between him and everybody else who seems to not be doing it very well is that he doesn't really have any other limit. All he, all he cares about is the success of his, of his career and his yeah. company. So your wild theory is my wild sure. theory is that this film is just a critique of the free market. <laughs> and if you, if you completely, uh, and what happens if you just completely take any moral restrictions away from it? Yeah. Pretty accurate reading, actually. Probably less wild than... One one same theory. Not very <laughs> wild. <laughs> you know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of the founder about the founding of McDonald's. Oh, and when yeah. he says, yeah. he Ray says, Kroc. you know, the difference between... Ray yeah, Kroc. Ray Kroc. You know, the difference between you and me is that I'm willing to put a hose in my competitor's mouth. Mm, yeah. Can you say mm. the same? There you go. Yeah. And he loves... He, in that film, he listens to like a kind of... Like management. Like, that's Napoleon like, Hill. Yeah. That's the Napoleon Hill. Oh, is that him? That's him. Yeah. yeah. Persistence when above I, all else. Yeah. Yeah. That's from 1937, and people have been listening to Napoleon Hill forever. It's mastermind. Wow. Yeah. Just um, to tie it all together. My my theory is uh is actually it, it might not come across as wild initially, but when you think about it, maybe maybe it could be is that Lou actually just wants to become a film director. <laughs> because because Lou actually says he so he start he, he finds this camera and then he says to Nina like uh, I think I may have found something that I'm I'm interested in and I, I'm actually very good at and he's and there's a weird line where he starts talking about composition where he's like a good composition draws the eye in and makes mm. you and uh, and he's so eager to meet all of the heads of the studios. And he's got this, like, he's basically building a studio at the at the end of it. I think he's yeah. looking to become his own news channel. I think even, like, yeah. tampering with the bodies, I'm like, does Lou yeah. want to direct films? Mm. I, don't, <laughs> I don't know, maybe. He does say, doesn't he, to Nina, he says, I want to be the guy who owns the studio, who owns the camera. Yep. But again, maybe that's maybe that's less true, and it's more just he's espousing the idea of, like, ownership and, like, you know, climbing the ladder and all yep. that sort of stuff. So yeah. that's, my, that's, my, that's my theory. Wild. Smart, <laughs> mine is... Is yours, is, is yours going to be more wild than anyone else's? My, mine's mad. So basically, <laughs> so at, at the end of the, as the film goes on, he starts to um to kind of create the news by like um you know like because mm. like he, he cuts the guy's mm. cars yeah. where he gets injured and stuff. So my theory, you know, at the beginning or well, quite early on, he's like looking through like the top stories and stuff mm. like, in his flat. My theory is that he was actually creating the crimes the whole time. So the whole way through, he was okay. always start like starting fights so we could have news. So he yeah. was like making not not every, not every single thing. There's bits where they're in the car waiting, but so the whole way through he was creating the crimes, not just later on when you see it. Uh, that's interesting. Oh. That's a really interesting theory. Do you think uh, he was actually caused like? But yeah, so he, I think I, I think he went through and like found what the top crimes were, and then went recreated and, them. Yeah, mm. for the benefit so, of himself. So yeah, yeah, could, yeah. Years, yeah. Well, that's yeah, interesting. That's a really good that idea because yeah. towards the end he did create his own way of 
tracking those drug dealers. He knew exactly what the yeah. license plate yeah. number was, yeah. that they were likely going to commit this crime again, and he staged his own video. So yeah. Weirdly, idea, not that wild, actually. Yeah, yeah. Like, not like that wild. Actually, it's very sensible, sensible theories. theories. It's clever. Yeah. It's yeah. clever, yeah. Yeah. It's a clever like the theory. theory. Well, the good thing about... Uh, I wanted someone to come theory. here and be like, lose an alien. <laughs> <laughs> a good theory is always somewhat convincing, so that's that's actually pretty good. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, I accept that I grew up in the generation of the self-esteem movement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I accept that the market doesn't allow for that sort of job security. I have now. a feeling Louis going to be giving us career advice very soon. What about paid internships? It's popular along many people. I think it'd be a crime to not mention the cinematography even just for a mm. minute because Peaceful. it's so beautifully shot yeah but there are so many little things that i can think of that that really help tell the story for example when they're in the interview in the cafe a lot of the time in a lot of scenes lou is always against um he's never shot against people and when he is shot against busy things it's shot uh, with a lot of like bokeh like blurred background mm. so he's always isolated against the city mm. but in the scene with uh with rick rick the shots of rick are against two people in the booth behind him so you get a sense that he's part of like that world and mm. um, lou is always shot against that clean right background like the sky so it kind of isolates him the other thing i was just going to say is do you ever notice so i know it's kind of obvious but he's always wearing sunglasses in uh during the day like he still kind of wants to adopt the night he still wants to like stay in the darkness and like at a the, vampire right yeah and at the end when he comes out of the um police station mm-hmm. he actually walks into a blade of of gold light as though he's kind of purified or free or whatever but then mm. he puts the shades back on and walks across mm. the road into the dark alley mm-hmm. so it's like I didn't notice that, he's so. always going back into that um that dark world there's um and another... even his apartment remember how you said it looks like it's night no, it in looks there? like night during yeah. the day yeah because yeah. he has That's the true. light he actually has the lamp on during the yeah. day in a dark corner of the room which and makes it, it looks look like super night. dark it's almost as if he only has one window in the entire yeah. place he had quite yeah had quite an experienced dp behind it um which is often i think what they do sometimes with first-time directors mm. is give them a very experienced dp to help them realize that vision they also did that classic thing of um and i guess to get bring to life this idea of, of of him being a camera guy where whenever there was some horrific scene or whatever that he'd come to see what you would see as the audience would not be the scene you no. basically had a head-on shot of him yeah. looking at the scene yeah and then you only saw the scene once he started to go and film it like and there's actually a progression there because all of the initial scenes it you're watching him develop his technique or his craft of capturing these scenes mm. that starts off innocent he's copying the other night crawlers right where yeah. there's the first scene where he captures that car crash or the the car shooting the yeah. carjacking yeah. and then he just takes it a step further and he walks right next to the body even yeah. though he shouldn't <laughs> and then the next scene where he he sees another car crash and he moves the body and you you don't even see the body you just see him come onto it right and this all crescendos at the very end where and i love this shot and i mentioned it to dom is that when they're sitting outside the chinese food restaurant the camera focuses on their lens yeah. right and you just see what's happening in the restaurant through that yeah. side Quite deliberate that yeah, yeah through that side camera the the side screen to their own cameras yeah. and everything else in the foreground is blurry you don't mm. see it and he when he's every time he gets to a crime scene he doesn't even look at it in real life he just experiences it through the camera mm. yeah and then when he says that really odd line where it's like oh, on tv it looks so real yeah, yeah. it's yeah. almost like he's never actually seen the scene until he no. sees it on tv because he's, he's just seen the interpretation of the scene yeah. which brings up the point about verisimilitude that we were we dom and i were talking about uh baudrillard and yeah, yeah. yeah simulation and simulacra yeah and how hyper reality can make something seem very real mm. and it just goes back to that 
is also a device that's used by news creators around the world yeah. to create something that's not real, that yeah. fake news, right? Mm-hmm. And they're just advancing, as you said, Louis, that script of you know urban crime creeping into mm-hmm. white suburban neighborhoods. And now it all seems so real is actually their intent. They want this to seem yeah. real. It yeah. raises questions. So, so you're right. I mean, if this film basically starts to look at the idea of fake news by manipulating stuff that is really there... Mm-hmm to suit a wider story that may not be an accurate portrayal of what happened mm. it does raise questions about like where news could go in the age of kind of like doctored footage at the age where you know you can basically create anything that you want on the screen yep. and whether you can basically trust any news source anymore do you know what i mean it starts to become um we, we were talking on a, a couple of episodes ago about um there's a bbc show called the capture which is all about the um doctoring of cctv footage and it sort of and it explores this thing that does genuinely happen now of of basically like creating CCTV CCTV footage of stuff that never happened. So yeah, I guess this this there's a there's a wider point here just about like to what extent what you're seeing in the news is real. You don't want Lou Bloom to get hold of like deep fakes exactly. or something where you can put like people's <laughs> different people's faces or CGI. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably worth mentioning. I don't think anyone's watched Roman J Israel, which is Dan Gilroy's other movie. And Velvet Buzzsaw, which I've seen, which is on Netflix, which wasn't anywhere near as good as Nightcrawler, mm. in my opinion. What's it about? It's about an art critic who has this gallery and buys this piece of art, that, and the art like haunts you when you look at it, and it has like this kind of other, I wouldn't say fantasy element, but like kind of horror element. But it just, of all the stuff we've talked about in Nightcrawler, for me, it just this is this was way more. I don't know. It was just more. Nightcrawler was just a more compelling story mm, to tell mm. i think and it it had the right production pieces yeah you said this would not be the same film without jake gyllenhaal which i wholeheartedly mm, yeah. believe yeah apparently he was quite involved in casting even getting the crew on board he's, and a, stuff. he's an executive producer. he's a producer yeah, yeah you're right a producer. he's a producer yeah, yeah. so he was you know. so good career highlight he was brilliant yeah i i kind of feel like this is one of the best films i've seen him in yeah for but, sure like, yeah, he's yeah. incredible he's coming to london uh in <laughs> to see you he's coming into <laughs> to london for the uh, sunday in the park with george which was on in new york for a few months i think and it's transferring to the West End, so we'll have to go and, you know, tell him personally how much we like this film. Mm. Um, get, is it get, true get that he was... Did you tell me that he was... He, like, starved himself? <laughs> and sleep-deprived himself as well. Yeah. I've actually heard this from quite a few people in business. They won't eat before a meeting because it makes them feel more motivated. Yeah. yeah, I think it's just the technique of, you know, if you really want something, you have to feel like you're hungry for it, right? Mm. And you hear this from athletes all the time. Like, it's this hunger, this drive for more. Mm, I think mm. getting there physically helped motivate his character to feel that way on screen, like in his actions. You see, he looks ravenous the entire time. I feel like we've really pulled this movie apart. (laughs) (laughs) We've taken it to like him being raised by coyotes to various thoughts about the free market. Mm. Should we do uh, who that quote? Who wants to go first? I I, I could. No, no, actually, no, no, no. For this one, he's good at this. Sparrow can go first. Shall I go first? Yeah. Mm. Banas, do you want to go? No. (laughs) This is where pro. I haven't done this one before. Um, is that is that the quote? <laughs> okay, you ready? You ready? <laughs> a My man, Godfather too. <laughs> a man went looking for America and couldn't find it anywhere. Christopher Columbus, the movie. <laughs> no, <laughs> famously did find it. I'd say it's a, it's a cult classic from the sixties. Oh, is it couldn't Scarface? F- no, couldn't oh. find it anywhere. Is that what it is? Dylan's deep in thought. <laughs> any, any ideas, Dylan? Is it, uh, Stumped. Is it a comedy? <laughs> no. Uh, should I give you a clue? Yeah, let's it revolves clear. around um, two guys on motorbikes. Two guys, one bike. <laughs> no, Easy Rider. Oh. oh. Collective groan. 
<laughs> anyway, oh, I have the poster for that actually. In we my should room. do better. Than- but but <laughs> you actually yeah. But you I see it every time. It's the quote, but, not on but the, I don't think it has that quote. T- on actually, it. Sparrow found out about the quote because he went yeah. to your room yeah. before this. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was an old room, okay. Yeah. <laughs> right, Louis. Um, I'm scared that some of these might be done before, so I've got two. Just all right, okay. All right. All right. Yeah, because someone hasn't made a list of all the ones we've done. Yeah. Yeah. Who, <clears throat> who is that guy? Who would have done that spreadsheet? Well, we spreadsheets. Okay. You know the name. You know the number. You know the name. You know the number. Yes, I'm so glad. Robo Robocop. No. Phone booth. Ghostbusters. No. no. Oh, that's, that's a good. good that's a good guess. guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. Oh. Who are you gonna call? You know the name. You know the name. You know it's Ghostbusters. Yeah. <laughs> right Keep after this, it. I just want. <laughs> no. Sort of, sort of on the like, right okay, lines. What decade? Who directed uh, it? That probably won't give it away, honestly. All right, directed by Martin Campbell. I don't know who that is. Martin Campbell, he directed uh, Casino Royale and Goldeneye. Mm. And he also did... Is it a Bond? Yes. In the 90s? Oh, it would have been Goldeneye then. Yes, it was. Really? Oh, wow. It was. You That's know the, the name. Wow. For you know the number. Wow. That's nice. Goldeneye. That's cheating. You know the name, you know the number. Why? It seems like they put no effort into it. You know the movie already. We're not going to try. <laughs> but seriously, what is the number? Yeah. <laughs> Tell me all about numbers. Actually, and, isn't, and also, isn't yeah. there a 006 in Goldeneye as well? Yeah, it was Sean. So you know the numbers? Sean Bean. Yeah, yeah. 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 Sean Bean. Brindling James. D's coming. D's coming in hard. Coming D's in coming hard. in hard. The Life of a Dreamer, The Days of a Business, and The Nights in Between. Risky Business? Say it again. No. The Life of a Dreamer, The Days of a Business, and The Nights in Between. The Days of a Business. Jerry Maguire? No. That's oh, um, Walter Mitty? No. What the hell is that? <laughs> uh, the Ben Stiller The Ben Stiller one. All right. Do you want a clue? Yeah. What decade yeah. at least? It's set in the 70s. Oh, it's set in the 70s. Oh, yeah. always set in the 70s. Is it American Gangster? No. Uh, is it the Gordon Gecko thing? It's a little promiscuous. Ooh. <laughs> oh. oh. <laughs> Saving Ryan's Private. <laughs> Saturday Night Fever. I haven't seen that. Nope. It's about swingers. Swingers. Porn. Yes. No, Wait. no, no, no. It's in the... Well, it's, it's about, about porn stars. Uh, yes. That's a dead ringer, Dom. Like I thought you would have had Paul Thomas right Anderson. There. Is it Paul Thomas Anderson? Perhaps. I'm not going to give it away. Boogie Nights. Yes. Uh, nice. That's good. That was a good, that was a good one. <laughs> Great movie. Uh, I like PTA. He's um PTA he's interesting. Dude. Yeah. Okay. Mine interesting I, dude. Mine, I think. Not I've, a fan of Phantom Thread, though. Yeah, it's a bit weird. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. Uh, my favorite one is um, There Will Be Blood. Really? Yeah, I really like Such that. Such a good one. Yeah, I love yeah. it. I think anyone's gonna be able to get this pretty quick. Uh, so the poster quote is, "What if this guy got you pregnant? <laughs> what if this guy got you got pregnant? you pregnant? Yeah." Oh, so I'm I'm assuming the character is a little bit seedy. Is it Austin Powers? Maybe. No. Uh, that's Ooh, a good, good that's one. a good guess. Yeah, that's a good guess. That's what good if guess. this guy got you pregnant? What if this pregnant being the thing. being the kind of the knocked the, up? The, yes. Is it knocked up? Oh, nice. Uh, it's a bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a picture of Seth Rogen on the cover, like. Uh, I was actually about to guess Mr. Mom. With Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> what if I got you pregnant? What if I got you? Get in the chopper. You punch like a vegetarian. <laughs> That's such a good line. Is that from Mr. Mum? I think it's on the Expendables. I, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. On the Expendables 2. You punch like a vegetarian. Right. See you at the party, Richter. All right, Benas, what's your quote? Benas? Anyway, moving on. 
Should we move on to Short of the Week? So the Short of the Week is called Mum of the Week. Mum of the Year. Uh, Mum of the Year, even. <laughs> Um, which, uh, yeah, so Short of the Week is called Mum of the Year by Rachel Stubbings. Uh, you saw this in the... Yeah, we should have a shout out for... Summer. So Kino, Kino, which is, uh, has, I think, three venues. They, um, they have a program where they support local directors. Uh, and by support, one of the ways they do it is they, sh- they show short films. So I think they showed three uh, or four even from Rachel Stubbings who is a local film director, just before The Irishman, um, which made that sitting even longer. (laughs) (laughs) But I wasn't complaining because all four of them were very varied and very good. Um, They all by her? Yeah. Oh, right, great. And this one was really funny. So Yeah, what did everyone think of this? Yeah, I thought it was good. I liked it. I don't know what its sympathies were. I actually don't know who the director is. I apologize, but... I just thought of this as an amazing telling of what they call mom brain. <laughs> Have you heard of this? Yeah, it, it's, it's just fascinating. I mean, there's so much Instagram comment on, content on this, but it's effectively the, the adoration mm-hmm. of a mother who's doing everything and all at once and has to keep track of a hundred different things in her household. Mm-hmm. On the phone call the whole time, she's like complaining about her husband, how he, you know, he always goes to Nando's and then all of a sudden he goes to the shard and... And all yeah. of a sudden, uh, she thinks she took the wrong baby. <laughs> but it's the right baby because, you know, uh, maternal instincts are always correct. Mm. So is that actually a thing then? Mom brain? Mom brain? I, it, I mean, it's not scientific. No. But <laughs> is that the yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. But it's it's that thinking that, you know, mothers are just, they're they're superheroes. Yeah. They're right. lifting everything yeah, to yeah. keep a household together. And I really, not, not to really, like, uh, over-explore this oh, film. Yeah. No, we never ever explore stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was all a dream. <laughs> it was a- <laughs> but you know what? Fucking hell. She had the right baby. Yeah. Everything's okay. It kind I, of sits, like, a bit... I liked it, but I found it a bit odd because at the beginning I was like yeah okay this is kind of I'm not sure where it's going to go mm. then I was like oh actually it's, it's now going to get really serious it's going to mm. take a serious turn mm. and then at the end it's kind of a comedy again mm, so yeah. I was kind of a bit like I don't want to say stumped but yeah. I just I, was, I wasn't quite sure what to make of it it went from being like kind of normal every day to then like thriller to then like comedy yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. which is quite impressive in a short amount of time exactly I I, I, that, that's the reason I liked it I thought so I think um, it, the, the humour is just so kind of British it's so like understated yeah, and just, Dylan like, started playing it he was like this yeah. is so British. <laughs> so British so British but also it's it's in the vein of um, what was that one we saw the other week in the in the hospital of the guy who was like denying that his son was in trouble oh uh, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. for the same reason the kind of the my idea boy. of just ha- my boy the idea of just having an actor do their thing on camera yeah. for the entire short time there's no there's no there's no event really liked how it was shot as well I thought it was really beautifully yeah. shot actually it was one, shot, yeah. one shot is always really difficult mm. to, to you do need to, you need to act well because you've not got any scenes to cut yeah. in and out of yeah yeah I think a special mention to the um, the male actor who, who walks past her. <laughs> <laughs> special shout out to the baby. Yeah. <laughs> no, main actress was great actually. She she was quite good at doing the the at the start with just the like general conversation felt quite real and mm. quite normal and unassuming, which I think was very good considering that the reveal was so intense. Yeah. <laughs> it's the type of scene that in a larger movie you'd bow to because you'd say that's very quintessential <laughs> yeah. what goes on in your normal day. But as a short film, I thought it was I thought it was really good. You have to applaud that uh, capturing of like just something so quotidian. Yeah. 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 It just fades so well. It's just the ending that makes you laugh. You don't really laugh much throughout. It's just the randomness of it going from like high octane, oh my god, where's my baby within ten seconds to just like, oh never mind. And there's that insane camera move when it like zoomed we yeah. were talking about it's like a contra zoom or something where it's 
zooms out and zooms in. Yeah. How do you think they, do you think they just literally film yeah. that by walking backwards? You you yeah. you yeah you do the opposite to the zoom. Take a steady cam and then yeah, you zoom out while you walk yeah. forward and it's yeah. like. Um, you could just I, and I also just kind of like they probably filmed that in like an afternoon. Yeah, I was, I, mean? think, I was thinking yeah, that I as like well. Films like that. It got a lot I mean, of love. It's a continuous shot scene. It doesn't take that much production work. Exactly. So. No, but I, I suppose I, I would be interested to know how many takes that took. It must have taken a few. Yeah, to get it yeah. right. Oh yeah, and to not even just capture it, but to get it the way you want it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, no sirens. No. Yeah. <laughs> no planes. Yeah. That, who would have Who would have recorded a podcast with the door open when a siren went past? Not me. You could not record that in Manhattan. Yeah. <laughs> We've got to do a pod in in, uh, in New York at some point, but maybe. <laughs> block up your flat somehow what the fuck are you guys doing over there (laughs) I'm pardoning here I'm recording it I'm recording it Um, alright sweet any ideas on the next director uh, no, it's open. It's completely open. Mm. Depends who we, if we get the the OG crew back mm. with a uh, with Ben Ass, we can do whatever. I'll nice. call in next time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I want to work out Skype. how to. I want to work out how to figure that out. I think that would be quite funny. Yeah. Um, uh, Lou was saying that there could be like a delay. We'd be like, oh, I really liked your point. Oh, I really liked your point. Oh, I really liked your point. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when you call someone on WhatsApp. Yeah. Uh, yeah there's yeah, always yeah. a ten second delay. Oh, on both it's sides. so annoying. Then you start talking at the same time. They're not. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Speaking so of delays, let's end this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> ben, that's you good. Bye from the New Yorker. Goodbye, guys. Thanks for having me. Bye from Sparrow. See ya. Bye from Louis. Hey, Ray. Bye from Benas. Benas. <laughs> and bye from me. All right. Bye bye. <laughs>